You ready? Um, sure. Okay. <laughs> as ready as you'll ever be. Hello, Unhinged Friends. I am your host, Jenna. And I am your host, Jesse. And we are a fucking problem. Some of us are more of a problem than others. As of recently, yes, I agree. <laughs> and I got the busted lip and skin needs to prove it. And apparently a bunch of videos of me dancing that I don't know who took, but I sent them to multiple people. I have not seen these videos and now I'm curious. As a disclaimer, it is never our intention to bash the authors nor their craft. We are simply two best friends bonding over different things that we just simply think are funny. In last week's episode, we started to pick apart a beautiful masterpiece called Motherfucking Shark by Brian Allen Carr. If you haven't listened to part one yet, please go back and do so just so you have enough context as to what is apparently going on in this book. As a recap, Crick is in jail and is really good at juggling skulls. Talent. Mom has tons of childhood trauma around her drunk father. Scraw killed his brother and made bark stew. And Kinky P is still a crybaby little bitch. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Today we are diving right back in where we left off. Crick and Scrawl, they're in a jail cell together and it is starting to rain. And where there is rain, there are typically sharks because science, you know. That's why I hate when it rains is because sharks just happen to come out of nowhere. Me too. Every time it rains, I just have to like fend them off and it's it's getting really hard. It's exhausting. They're getting smarter <laughs> each time it rains. <laughs> when we got together last, Crick and Scrawl, they're sharing a jail cell and we get different perspectives on just how much it is raining from all of these characters in the book that we've been introduced to. And there's so much rain that it's starting to feel like the entire town is going to flood. So typically where there is so much rain, there are sharks that just happen to just jump out of puddles and brutally murder people, you know, normal springtime rain situations. But this time it's sunny and the skies are blue. There are a few little puddles around. It's muddy, you know, the usual after rain situation. Like in a normal place where it rains. Well, Jesse, this is not a normal place. But I think it's also safe to say at this point that Crick looks like a crazy fucking liar because he told everybody that when it rains, sharks are going to be there. The rain's over and the skies are blue. I'm sure there's a rainbow off in the distance somewhere. I bet everyone in the town looks at Crick the way that Matt looks at you. (laughs) You have to cut that one out. (laughs) I'm not cutting it out. I'm not cutting it out. Yeah, he's going to listen to this and think you're an even bigger liar. And that's my favorite part of the whole thing. I promise, Matt, I teach English. I'm just not a real teacher. Yet. (laughs) Yet. So I got about two years. I'm halfway there. (laughs) People of the town are so excited that sharks didn't kill them because it rained. (laughs) So people are literally rejoicing on the streets. They're dancing in mud puddles. Kinky Pete even like shoots bullets at the sky with his gun and tells God, you can't kill us. And then a bunch of other hillbilly freaks join him. The yeehaws are out there just like, Disclaimer, I have another friend named Jenna who I call Other Jenna. And him shooting bullets in the sky to spite God is her energy all the time that's like the mood going into 2023 someone even pulls out alcohol and this bitch like really turns into a party people are passing the bottle around they're dancing they're socializing laughing people are holding babies upside down by their ankles and swinging them around because that's what people do at parties right they just swing babies around by the ankles just to address the first part about passing the bottle this must be pre-covid or these people have never heard of it second of all the baby thing again they had to do their own police work so i'm assuming dcfs doesn't exist because i feel like that's a hotline call (laughs) 
1-800-DCFS-HOTLINE. When I read this book, I pictured it taking place in like the Western era. You know what I mean? Like everybody's dirty. You take like maybe two baths a year. Oh yeah. And you have to fend yourself off from motherfucking sharks. I remember that on the Western channel. (laughs) You didn't read about that in history class? Wow. I must have been sick that day. Mr. Zorn's failed you. So Merm even has like little kids tying flowers to him to make him look all pretty and stuff. Um, Scrawl actually sees this from his jail cell window and he gets hella jealous and he screams at the kids that that is his mule. Um, okay, donkey fucker. Like they're just making it pretty for you. Why are you so mad? Well, they get to drink. The kids can't like play dress up with the one-eyed mule. God. Apparently not. Hypocrites. Mom starts to get a really weird feeling though. She's just kind of taking in the scene at Itself, and she's looking at the petals on the ground and they all look a little off. Do you remember from your childhood? They were like little pills almost and you put them in water and you leave them overnight and then they expand into like a dinosaur. You know what I'm talking yes. about? Okay, so that's that's what I picture whenever I was reading this. It, that's basically what the sharks are doing while they're in these little puddles. They start off like really tiny and then they start to kind of expand in the water and get bigger and bigger. And this is where the sharks oh. come from. No, they oh. just like set the roads on fire. No, no. Mom tells everyone everyone, hey, we should like take the party inside. But dun dun dun, it is way too late. Uh, <laughs> as soon as mom starts like telling people like, hey, let's go inside. Let's take this party inside. The author at this chooses this exact time to write a really long paragraph telling the reader to picture a child of any sort. It can be your own child. It can be a made up child. Just picture the cutest little dude or little thing that you have ever pictured and just like grown to love. Okay. It has to be like the cutest little kid you've ever seen in your life. And then the author says to imagine putting that child by a puddle so he can kill the fuck out of it, rip the skin from its body, and then toss chunks of it at me, like the reader. Is this guy okay? Brian, are you all right? Have you been committed yet? Have you been off your meds? I think he might have when he wrote this because like I'm all for creativity, but this is bad. Then he writes that his goal is to make me, the reader, feel bad for reading this book and then tells me, the reader and the consumer, you know, like, we're the people that bought the book, Jesse. We gave him a paycheck. He tells us that we're going to kill this imaginary child together just by reading what's going to happen to it. Pretty fucked up. Why is he so dark and twisty? I don't know. This is like a really dark concoction of, like, gaslighting and peer pressure. <laughs> like, all in one. <laughs> Not a fan. It makes me feel icky. So, like, at one point he says, I want you, as the reader, to feel uncomfortable. Hey, Brian, it's working. You had me uncomfortable by, like, the second page of this fucking book. Hey, Brian, who who hurt you? Who? You know, you can just like call them or in my case, you can get blackout drunk and scream at them at a bar. You know, either works. So like, you know how mom has all that trauma around her dad? I'm starting to think that was actually like Brian's trauma. He's just like giving it char- like a, a different name and like character traits for a character in one of these books. I That's think a that good point. Yeah. So naturally, I imagined a fake small child because peer pressure and because I am the weakest link and I put it next to a motherfucking rain puddle. So what happened when I picture this, because I am apparently part of this now, the kid puts their hand in the water puddle that they're sitting next to and the shark bites their thumb off. But when they go to cry and to suck on their thumb, the thumb is gone and then they cry even harder. And then the sharks just converge on all the town people. All right. I am complicit for the death of an imaginary child. R.I.P. Imaginary child. When I need to drink of my Capri Sun because I'm actually four years old. I have a martini. Just because so- I'm actually 80 years old. <laughs>
<laughs> a dirty martini. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Stirred, <laughs> not shaken. <laughs> All right, 007. So everyone is trying to scatter. Most are being killed. Draw and Crick are watching it from inside their cell. Like they're watching out the window. And Scraw is screaming like hell. Like this dude is but- hysterical. So Kinky Pete takes a play out of that book. And he flies into the jail. And he throws himself into the jail cell next to them for protection. But a shark follows him inside the actual jail and tries to get to him. Lucky for Kinky Kinky Pete, he closes the gate in time, like the door, so the shark can't get in. Oh, way to go, Pete. Almost yeah. kill everyone by trying to save your own crybaby bitch ass. Yeah, tell me about it. So then Pete ends up getting his gun out and he starts shooting the shark. And it's at this point, like this could have been mentioned previously, like whenever he gave his whole narrative about his parents in like the first chapter, Crick decides that this is the time to tell everybody that bullets don't work on motherfucking sharks to kill them because they are magical flying sharks. Could have disclosed that in the first chapter. And the only way to kill them is by harpooning the fuck out of them. Where do you even buy a harpoon? I don't know. But apparently if you shoot them with a harpoon, they burst into flames and the only thing that is left of them are their jaws. Oh. Yeah. So do you remember when he showed up to town at the beginning of the book with a wagon full of jars and and harpoons? Yes, I do. But and like that's great and all, but I still just feel like that would make the wagon way heavier than it needed to be and that has no logic at all. But I mean, I'm glad he knows how to kill them, I guess. Well, I guess the harpoons, like the idea of those from the first chapter, they came full circle because now I'm like oh that's why you had a wagon full of harpoons and shark jaws because you killed them and you kept their jaws as trophies okay so Crick tells Pete to go out to the wagon and get his harpoon so he can prove to him that he can kill the sharks with the harpoons but Pete refuses because there's literally a shark in the jail with them and he's like as soon as I open that jail cell like I'm doomed I'm not, that's not happening no so then Pete suggests that Scraw should go outside and grab the harpoon because Scraw is a killer anyways and he should be ballsy enough to do it. Hey, homie, if you're ballsy enough to kill an actual human, like your brother, you should be ballsy enough to go run outside where there's a bunch of sharks and like, you might die. Yeah, we're literally just gonna hang you anyway. So pick pick your own death. So really quick before I move forward with what happens next, what are your thoughts on Skrull? What do you think about him? Well, I think it's super weird that he wants to have sex with a donkey. I don't know why he can't just find like a nice girl in town or boy. He's a good butcher, obviously. I don't... I give zero fucks about him. If he were to be torpedoed into the fucking sky in the next sentence, I don't give a fuck. All right, perfect. Then you're going to love this because Skrull hates the idea of going out to get that harpoon. So he freaks out even harder somehow and he starts sobbing even harder and he's just hysterical. Like this dude will not shut the fuck up. His anxiety attack is starting to annoy the living hell out of Crick and Pete. So Crick kicks him in the gut and tells him to shut up. But Pete ups the ante a little bit and he just shoots Skrull in the head to get him to shut up. Rest in peace, scroll. That's relatable, though. I mean, if there were no consequences sometimes, I mean, you're, yeah, sure, happening. I wouldn't kick you in the gut if you were crying a lot, but that would, would just be out of love. I wouldn't shoot you in the head, though. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. It's nice to know where we stand. When I'm old and senile, I'll put that like in all my paperwork. Like if I start to say really fucked up things, just have Jesse shoot me in the fucking head. 
<laughs> when I'm old and senile, I just want you to go around and tell all the people that I hated how much I hated them. Deal. Can you have like handwritten letters beforehand though? I'm going to, but I just want you to right. read it in like your best voice. Should I like pre-record it and then just like set it up and just stare at them while they listen to the recording? Yeah, you know those people that go around and sing like telegrams or whatever? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like that, but it's just full of mean shit that I've pent up for like 20 years. Jesse's backwards Christmas caroling. Yeah. So Scrawl's dead now. Rest in peace or don't. I don't really care. Um, And so the other two men, Crick and Pete, they take a seat on their bunks and they just decide to wait out the shark attack. They're safe in their jail cell while everyone else is just being brutally murdered by sharks. So then the book goes into various points of view from random townspeople who are being attacked. And a couple of these characters are very minor and we haven't even met them at all. They're just random townspeople. One point of view is a man running away with a small daughter in his arms. It's not funny. I can't help it. Oh God. <laughs> He's trying to make it home so that he and his daughter can have somewhere safe to stay and wait it out. So he makes it to their house, but the door is locked. When he turns around, a shark is coming at them. So him, quick thinking, just shoves his daughter into the shark's mouth. Fuck you, dude. Oh. By the way, but it's fine because the shark eats both of them <laughs> because its jaws are so big. It just ate them both. Yeah. Like, hey, bud, she's not a fucking shield. <laughs> yeah. So Merm. Oh, God. I feel so bad for this mule the entire time, but this one is even better. I love this energy that this donkey brings. Merm, on the other hand, is literally just having the best day of his life. He's just wandering around. He's unfazed by literally all of the chaos around him. He steps over all of the dead body parts on the ground, but he finds an overturned onion cart and he just sits down and he just snacks away while enjoying the bloody bath show. I love that. He deserves all good things. Oh, God. He's all done up with the flowers. He's going to have some onion breath. The guy who's trying to sexually harass him is dead. That's very true. It's almost like he took himself on a date today. Like he got his hair done. He went to the salon and then he took himself out for lunch. And it's like dinner and a show. Literally Merm's day out. I love it. Yeah. So (laughs) sounds like a really bad kids show. Like Merm's day out. Like a Pixar short. It's all bloody. The only other familiar character's point of view we see is Mom's. She is gathering up a handful of like little girls and she starts running them like chasing them to a cellar to like keep them protected and to lock them in there but as soon as they get to the cellar she puts the girls in and a shark bites her leg and won't let go so mom kind of the badass that she is she punches the shark in the face several times uh i fucking love her right? Oh, you just wait. It isn't until she punches it in the nose that it decides to let go. So temporarily out of the grip, she runs off into the woods to seek shelter. You know, fight or flight. She she chose fight and then flight. Good for her. But while running, a tiger shark starts to hunt her. This book also goes into great factual detail about tiger sharks that I could give a shit less about, so I just skipped that part. But she notices (laughs) the shark and um, then she just sits down on the ground. Please, dear God, Jesse, I want you to protect what do you think she does? I don't know. Hopefully she has a harpoon. Oh, she's got a weapon. Of course. She sure does. She thinks to herself, man, I bet the shark is actually just a man. Yeah, I'm oh. sure it's a man in a shark costume. Mom. What the fuck? The men hate. I, I get it though. I yeah. get her train of thought. Then she decides, you know, since the shark is a man, I got something else to offer it. So she spreads her legs wide open and exposes herself, hoping that the shark will just, I don't know, get freaky with her in a non-deadly way. Oh, mom, this shark doesn't want your punani. <laughs> your harpunani. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. You got to keep that one in. <laughs> I will. 
Oh, God. Well, I'm so funny. Okay. Um, want mom to die by, I don't even know what you'd call that. What would that cause of death be? Shark, shark attack? attack to the badge? <laughs> so plot twist, her plan does not work, obviously. And he bites her like there, you know, like that. Um, in case you needed a visual. Thank you for the hand gestures. The rest <laughs> of you can't see the hand gestures, but they were funny. <laughs> <laughs> and then it just automatically kills her. I mean, before she like completely sees Black, she wonders who will let the little girls out of the cellar that she put them in. Also, as a sidebar, this is never mentioned again in the book. And I'm just assuming that the girls died because no one came to get them. Yeah, that's a rough night. I'd rather die from a shark attack than like starvation. Just make it quick, dude. Seriously. I'd rather be Merm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. If we can be anybody in this book, it's Merm. Back in the jail cell, little sharks swim which didn't make sense to me because I thought that they don't swim because they're magical sharks but it's fine they're like swimming around the bars constantly in hopes to snatch a bite of crick or pee and when they do get close to those bars the guys just grab them by the tails and beat them against the floor until they die I mean doing what they can I guess I'm impressed by that I mean I kind of am too a little while later crick wakes up Pete to tell him that the sharks are gone and at this point like two days has gone by because they have to wait for everything to dry up Pete unlocks his cell and he lets himself out but he refuses to let Crick out he literally is like no I'm not letting you out so he goes outside and when he's outside of the jail Crick basically just says fuck it and then he picks the lock hey man uh, you you couldn't have done that right after you were originally arrested could have left like forever ago dude seriously like you were in that jail cell alone by yourself for at least an hour I would guess throughout this book and you couldn't have just like dipped then you just wanted to keep talking shit I guess so a man that loves chaos what's new Crick walks over to his wagon where the harpoons are at and he asks Pete if the bloodbath of the streets is a pretty sight. Ew. Oh. Okay, Crick. I'm starting to think this is like Crick's, you know, kink. It's gotta be. It's gotta be. Pete gets super suspicious and starts to question Crick as to how he even got out of the jail cell. Crick tells him that he got out with magic. Remember, because he's a magician. And then raises the harpoon at Pete. Pete reaches for his gun, but it's too late and Crick harpoons the fuck out of him. I mean, he like harpoons this dude so hard that he like stumbles backward and he gets like harpooned into the side of the jail. And he's like, gruesome. We're coming close to the very end of the book. I promise this ride is almost over. I am so fucking relieved. So we're gonna fast forward in time a little bit and we're gonna meet some two new characters. Their names are Howard and Gall. They're best friends and they're both 14 years old and at this point in time they're playing checkers together. Well Howard's mom, she comes around the corner and she's checking on them, just chit-chatting and um, she had Howard when she was really young so she still looks pretty, you know, pristine very young. Like some people would just get her mixed up as um, like the older sibling. So mom and Gall it's like Howard's best friend. They're really flirty with each other. And then it is later disclosed in the narrative that Gall, the 14-year-old boy, and Howard's mom are sexually involved. Oh, so she's a pedo. Yeah. This I mean, book literally has everything. Everything that's bad, it's in the book. I'm starting to think so. Shit. Howard gets really uncomfortable, naturally, with his BFF and his mommy flirting. So he excuses himself to check on the horses. He's like, yeah, I'm out. Like, it's cool. It's so creepy. I don't care if his mom is much, like, isn't much older than him. It's still really weird. Like, it's still his mom. As soon as Howard gets outside, he sees a wayward traveler with a one-eyed mule standing in his yard. Hmm, I wonder who these fuckers could be. (laughs) I feel like we've met them before. (laughs) 
out. Um, deja vu. Who? The mule is dragging a wagon with harpoons and shark jaws in it. The traveler asks Howard what the people in the community are like, to which Howard replies that they are motherfuckers. Oh, God. Well, his friend is a motherfucker. I mean, literally, and that's what I put in my notes here. Like, Howard gives Zero's fuck. I mean, his mom and his best friend are literally boning. Like, his best friend literally is a motherfucker. So the traveler gives him a harpoon as a gift and tells him that he will need it. And then he smacks his mule on the butt and they start to walk away. But there's something new about this wagon. So when this traveler, Crick, was introduced at the beginning of the book, he had like his harpoons, his shark jaws, whatever, right? This time there's an extra item. On the back of the wagon is a pillow and with it is a decapitated head on it. The face of the head has a cut on its cheek. It's kinky Pete. Yeah, he kept his head as like a souvenir. Well, yeah, probably because he's gonna like get the skin off and use it as his son's dead skull. (laughs) Also, did we just like abandon that entire plot line? I mean, I'm starting to think so. Like, it was just mentioned that one time that the skull wasn't actually his son's and that like his son might just be out in the world somewhere, but it doesn't, it just doesn't circle back to that. Which sucks because I like that storyline so much better. I want to hear about a man trying to find his beloved son. I just don't even know what the point of this entire fucking book was. It's what was bring, the point? It's to bring awareness about the motherfucking sharks, Jesse. Oh, good God. Nothing even happened of substance. People died. Okay, be respectful. What is wrong with People you? People died for this literature. <laughs> this piece of fucking art. Jesus. Brian Allen Carr, I need you to autograph my copy. Um, because I'm starting to think I'm your number one fan. I could do without like you forcing me to murder a small imaginative child. I could do without that. I could do without you trying to make rain sexual. That was weird. <laughs> I didn't. I'm still uncomfortable about it. It rained the other day, and that's all I can think about. <laughs> Well, porn was brought up again in this last part of the book, and I didn't understand the connection. So I'm just starting to think that, like, Brian Allen Carr, my good pal BAC, is just really horned up. You just gave him a name. My good pal BAC. Well, he's really connected to him after reading this, so. So, Jenna, out of five stars, where do you rate motherfucking sharks? Um, If I had to rate this book, I would give it maybe a two and a half out of five stars. That's pretty good. I just hope that I... I feel like I would have gave it a solid three. A three? Why a three? Because it was weird and I loved it. Yeah, you are pretty fucked up. Um... I just hope that I never have to pick up this book or open it ever again as long as I live. I will keep it on my bookshelf for just nostalgia's sake, but when I die and my children find it amongst my things, they're going to be way more worried about me than they already were. <laughs> I mean, if they ever find this podcast, they're going to be worried about it too. Oh god, let's just hope that they never google my name. <laughs> I wonder if we're on Google. I don't know. I'll have to check that later. Probably like the 6th page of Google. <laughs> Probably. We're like way down there. It's fine. I started this book off thinking Crick is a fucking freak. I mean, I still do, but he started to grow on me a little bit. I'm really sad about mom, I think the most. I think her character had serious potential, but then she tried to distract a shark uh, from attacking her by flashing her vag at it, and that's such a weird move to pull in the middle of a genocide by shark. I just wish there that, like, the entire book just should have been Howard's story. I feel like that little snippet we got at the end was way more entertaining than the rest of this fucking book well you want to find out what we're reading next 
Oh, God, I am waiting over here on pins and needles. Next time on Literally Unhinged, I have started a new book already. It is called My Life as a White Trash Zombie by Diana Rowland. So far, I've been reading it and it's actually really good. But My Life as a White Trash Zombie is about a white trash girl turned zombie. Her name's Angel Crawford. That's the same name as my aunt. So Aunt Angel, I'm really sorry if you ever hear this. This book is not about you. I didn't write it. It's not my fault. It is spelled exactly exactly like yours though so I hope you don't hate me for this but basically Angel Crawford lives with her alcoholic deadbeat dad in the swamps of southern Louisiana she's a high school dropout with a pill habit and a criminal record who's been fired for more crap jobs than she can count now on probation for a felony seems that Angel will never pull herself out of the downward spiral her life has taken that is until the day she wakes up in the ER after overdosing on painkillers Angel remembers being in a horrible crash but she doesn't have any marks on her add to the weirdness, she receives an anonymous letter telling her there's a job waiting for her at the county morgue, and that is an offer she doesn't dare refuse. Before she knows it, she's dealing with a huge crush on a certain hunky deputy who is not named Kinky Peach, and a brand new addiction, an overpowering craving for brains. Plus, her morgue is filling up with the victims of a serial killer who decapitates his prey just when she's hungriest. Angel's going to have to grow up fast if she wants to keep this job and stay in one piece. Because if she doesn't, she's dead meat, literally. Oh, so have you ever seen that show iZombie? I think it's on Netflix. Yes. That's exactly yeah, what this is. like that. Okay, Unhinged Friends, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We really appreciate all of your support. Please follow us on Instagram at literallyunhinged pod. We've had a lot of people reach out to us individually to tell us how much they're really enjoying this journey that we're on and that support just means so much to us. Please tell your friends about us. If you would like to, feel free to email us any suggestions you have for really fucked up books at literallyunhingedpod at gmail.com. As always, be a fucking problem.